Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that one shot It lives. What the fuck? <laughs> Sit your ass down, Lars. You get no fucking privacy out of here. What's there to say? We're out of beer, pal. Bob used to be a woman. Yes, we sell out. Proper roach smoking technique. I was gonna fill it up with my own urine. It's a James Hatfield. There's all kinds of shit. Shower filled with women. Can a song go higher than number one? Told you to not fuck around. Cliff, fuck you. My three-year-old son could do that. I don't even have a son. Hey, man, you better wash that mic off. About the heaviest number known to mankind. There's 50 fucking percent chicks out in the house. Is that joking? No. Is he joking? No, it's serious. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lon M. Friend, former editor of RIP Magazine, who had a few days with Metallica back in the day. And you're listening to the Indefatigable and Podcast for All. Welcome back to the podcast for all. I'm Shane Obershaw. And I'm Jeff Winslow. We're almost out of the season. What the hell happened? Yeah, I know. It seems like these episodes, these seasons, everything, they're just, they're flying by. So where the hell did January and February go? I don't know. Where did 2020 and 2021 go? It feels like we just started doing this podcast like last year. Well, we got a guest tonight from your neck of the woods. We've been in the Midwest a lot. Maybe, maybe people don't like the Florida kind of folk like myself. I don't know. Maybe it's the accents. They want to hear the, yeah, you betcha. You ever seen the movie Fargo? I have. Everyone that knows I'm from Minnesota always asks about Fargo, and I'm like, that's, yeah, say, that's what they fucking picture you and I as. They say, yeah, you up. betcha. Oh, don't you know? Hey, the prowler needs a jump, eh? Don't you know? You betcha. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. Oh. Our guest tonight has an interest right up Jeff's alley. Th- this was all your idea, dude. I like this. Yeah, it's something a little bit different, you know, always trying to mix things up on in podcasts for all you know us. We don't like to give you necessarily the same thing every time. So we're always trying to keep things fresh. In podcast for all, for all of you to come on and tell your this week non-Metallica story. And I'm guessing in the last 90 plus episodes, you've probably brought up the UFC at least 95 times. I've brought it up a few times. You know, we all have our interests, man. Outside of the mighty Metallica, we all have our things that, you know, we could even call them our vices if we want. (laughs) Give me your top five outside of Metallica world vices of Jeff Winslow. Well, outside of Metallica slash, is it Metallica and music or just Metallica itself? Uh, Let's put Metallica and music aside and give me your top five. Um, Cars, definitely, for sure. Any kind of racing um definitely fighting you know mma ufc that's stuff i'm really into i guess you know i wanted to say playing guitar but that's part of music boy this is tough i don't really have a lot of things other than music cars and my my sport of choice i love how none of that involved your family oh well (laughs) i thought that was an obvious like obviously my family my kids and all that stuff okay your family's not a vice that's just life that's just life. That's just part okay, of every day. 
Uh-huh. I was like, what about your woman and those three girls? Uh, whatever. We got racing. Well, yeah, you know, I, I can watch Street Outlaws. <laughs> We're all good. Go up to Brainerd International and watch the races. <laughs> B-I-R. Maybe I should take the P90D up there. Movies, film, TV shows, like anything Hollywood, you know, I'm really into not only just... You're starting to sound like Lars. Yeah, exactly. I, I see it almost from the art you know, standpoint of it. I really enjoy watching okay. actors and how... You know, they make a role convincing or how they really fuck up a role and make it shitty. Because let's face it, there's a lot of actors that do that. I mean, look at one of the most famous actors to date. Uh, Right now, it's what? Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I love his movies. I do. But I wouldn't necessarily call him a great actor. You know, he's not a he's not a Robert De Niro or Leonardo DiCaprio. He's The Rock. Never been a fan of him. But I will say he had a hell of an introduction at the Super Bowl. He had a hell of an introduction. He got a lot of hate for it. I Well, when 50 million people are watching, you're going to get probably a couple of hate mails down the hate yeah, training box. He's going to get a little bit, but you know what? I think it was fitting. I was kind of hoping he was going to say, do you smell what the rock is cooking? But he didn't, he didn't throw that out there. Yeah, I smell it. I smell a Chipotle burrito. I'm ready for that Chipotle burrito coming up here in Florida. March 26th, Destin, Florida. We're playing at Club LA, and I owe you that burrito. I won't, I won't forget it. I might have a new rig down there, too. Exciting. Ooh, some new stage gear in a fly-in show. Just a great place to test new gear where you're not familiar with any of your fucking amps. 100%. <laughs> because when the pressure is on, I feel like that's when we perform at our best. That's true. Here, Shane, is a drum set you've never seen or played before, but now you're going to play in front of two to 3,000 people, and good luck. Yep. Hey, Shane, I know you're on the other side of the world. Here's a Fisher-Price drum set in the Middle East. You're going to play to multiple sold-out shows. Your drums sound like shit, and go. <laughs> Welcome to Bahrain. Here's your Pearl Export with Peisty 2002 cracked cymbals, and go. And how well did those shows go? I mean, we were spot amazing. On. Spot on. I remember I looked at that kit and I said, Kit, I don't like you and you don't like me, but with this sold out crowd in the Middle East and the energy in this room, by the end of this night, you are going to be a puddle of shit. And that's what a it puddle was. of it was shit. Amazing. And it was amazing. I annihilated that kit. I just couldn't believe first time there we had multiple sold out shows. I mean, that's, that's quite the welcoming <sighs> party. Back to your vices. When did the whole UFC start for you? Growing up, obviously, you know, I, I played football, I tried basketball, you know, and I was into sports, but music was obviously always the number one passion. That basketball? Was the thing. I've seen you jump. It's about one centimeter. Hey, my my vertical is all right. It's my shoot game that's not the, not the greatest. <laughs> I can free throw like a motherfucker, but you put me put me on the side shot trying to do like a three-pointer? Uh-uh, dude. Oh, I've seen it. It's not pretty. No vertical leap, so you're like, I'm going to get into fucking fighting. Uh, well, it, it, after the music, you know, and the cars, you know, that's been, you know, the big, the big thing for me. Eventually, I felt like, you know, everybody's got their sport, you know, you follow multiple sports, but basketball is like really your number one sport, you know, Pizzle's mm-hmm. got hockey and everybody's got, you know, Bill's got baseball, you know, so everybody's got their sport. And I always felt like, you know, football was my sport, but I just, I wasn't a diehard, you know, I didn't watch it, you know, every game, I didn't follow it as much as I, as I should have. And fighting just one day, you know, I'm just, I'm watching YouTube or Facebook or whatever it is, you know, the videos and something just caught my eye about it. And I liked, 
you know, the sense of accountability that fighters have. Because in a world that we live in nowadays, it seems like there's no accountability. You know, you see all these pro athletes and they're putting the blame on other people on their teams, why they lost this and that. When you lose in a boxing match, a wrestling match, an MMA match, whatever it is, it's you and one other person, you know, and one person's coming out victorious. And I just, I like the accountability of that. You know, you can't blame anyone else. Yeah. You have a coach and a team, but once you're in the ring or the octagon, it's you and them. I agree with you. I, I can name, about 12 fighters in the entire world and when, <laughs> when a big fight comes on i'm like yeah maybe i'll check it out maybe i'll you know watch a couple rounds it's it's one of those things when you turn it on i can't look away and end up watching the whole thing and i've i've i'm i'm a fan of it but i i don't know nearly one percent of what the rest of the real fans like yourself know about it but it's just, it's one of those things whether it's boxing cage whatever it be triangle mm-hmm. the new shit it's just it's one of those things that draws you in whether you love it or not because it's so interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like live music. Even if it's a band or artist that you're not interested in seeing, when they take the stage, it's hard to not be just captivated on what they're doing. You know what I mean? Live music is live music. You know, Even shitty live music is still, it's like pizza. Even bad pizza is still pretty good pizza. Bad pizza, Chuck E. Cheese, Slimy Games, Greasy Pizza. Cardboard pizza, I'm pretty sure was cardboard the quote. pizza. That's what Pizzle said. Pizzle, when you hear this episode, text us. Yep, that was cardboard pizza. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Just like that pizza we had on Air Italy. Oh, that pizza was amazing. Pizzle, that was he, he wanted. He wanted real Italian pizza, so he got it on Air Italy. <laughs> on Air Italy at thirty eight thousand feet. I'll have to admit it wasn't the best pizza, but when you haven't eaten for eighteen hours, you and I were like, this is the best shit ever. It was good, but in all fairness, Bill and I, we got to go into the city when we were in Milan, and we had real Italian pizza. It was absolutely amazing. You want to know the fighters that I can name? Um, hmm. Jake Paul. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Glass Joe, Piston Honda, Hippo. Wait a minute. I think I know those names. Go ahead. I'm going to let you continue. I think I know where you're going with this, though. When I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, I'm going to give you a list. Okay. This was the list of lists right here. These are fighters that cannot be fucked with. Glass Joe, Von Kaiser, Piston Honda, Don Flamenco, (laughs) King Hippo, Bald Bull, Mr. Sandman. There's a Metallica reference. There we go. That was your favorite. And to beat the game and finish out Mike Tyson's punch out, Mr. Tyson himself <laughs> on the 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. <laughs> so don't lie. When you got to Mr. Sandman, were you like, all right, here we go? Actually, in the late 80s, Sandman wasn't out yet. I was going to say when that game came out, yeah. When the game came out, I want to say it was 87, 88, as obviously we kept playing it through elementary and you know the early 90s of the Black Elm. Yeah. The Sandman reference did cross, you know, even as a kid with my older brother turning me on to heavy metal music when he was in high school. I'm like, what? There's a Metallica guy in the game? And then I saw what the what the Mr. Sandman looked like, and I'm like, eh, I don't think that has anything to do with Metallica. Did you want to be his character just because he was named Mr. Sandman? And were you like, maybe underneath that there's a James or a Lars hidden in the Mike Tyson punch out? Uh, maybe a little bit. I wanted to be King Hippo, though, because you can just, you know, enter the boxing ring in your underwear and be a fat dude. (laughs) Oh, see, you loved fighting this whole time and didn't even know it. My other fight memory as a kid 
I believe it was the Holyfield Lennox Lewis fight. You remember those names? Yeah, oh yeah, dude. Evander and Lennox. Oh man. That's and a- it was outdoors in Vegas at Caesar's Palace. And this dude with like an ultralight fan ended up <laughs> landing in the ring in like the early nineties. They called it the fan man fight. Are you familiar with this? I think I do remember, yeah. Yep. The fucker actually lands in the ring. This was like the fight of the year in Vegas. You have to realize like fights of the year in Vegas in the 90s were like the biggest thing of the year. Everybody and was the, there. The, the fan man, ultralight, paraglider, whoever he was, interrupted the event. And I will never forget that. I was actually watching that live when that happened. Damn. that's See, that's history right there. And that's a, that's a big fight. <laughs> and somebody in a parachute has just landed on the edge of the ring, has been pulled security guards. The fight has been brought to a halt. There's a massive melee at ringside as this fellow with a motorized parachute has landed right on top of spectators and officials at ringside. He's in the midst of a mass of security guards now. This is a monumental disaster. Right now, police are filing by me at ringside and grabbing this gentleman who has created a monstrosity of an interruption in the bout. But tonight, we're talking to a fighter that you actually know. How'd you come across this gentleman? You know, I don't know him personally, but he he, he works with my fiance and, you know, okay. just happened to to mention some stuff about what he did in his past. Wrestler, UFC fighter, etc. And of course, Amanda, knowing that I'm super into that and everything that goes with it mentioned some things to him and you know i've never like i said formally met you know chit chatted a little bit but never actually met face to face so i'm excited and i'm sure he's gonna have some interesting things to say i've read up on him and he's had quite the life to say the least so i think his story is gonna be something quite amazing even though it doesn't quite tie in with our metallica theme i hope everyone listening will you know get some enjoyment out of it no, a non-Metallica week, a, a fair warning to all our diehard Metallica fans, a non-Metallica week going to the interest of one of ours, Mr. Brad Kohler. He grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, spent most of his time in Minneapolis, and actually holds a world record for a knockout, I believe. Yeah, it's one of the most infamous knockouts in MMA history. He uh, he knocked someone out first round, uh, I think 30 seconds of the first round. I think it was UFC 21 Ooh. or 22. So early days of the UFC, but back back then they had no no weight limits, no, no nothing. Yeah, no nothing. Like a free for all. They might have even been almost bare knuckled at the time. I don't even know if they had the four ounce gloves yet. But yeah, it was definitely man on man, brutal gladiator type shit. There's one man standing at the end. Thirty seconds. I bet if I got in that ring for thirty seconds, I would feel like about. 30 years like get me the fuck out of here what did i get myself into especially if you're getting knocked out cold too like imagine the kind of damage you have to do to someone and how you have to hit them now a knockout in the ufc is totally out cold correct yeah yeah they have like their tkos and doctor stoppages and stuff like that but yeah full-on knockout is like yeah you're knocked out out to lunch sandman dreaming style that's that's usually what what they're looking for and man that's some crazy shit to think about. 30 seconds. That's quick. Well, I'm, I'm going to get to the... I'm going to ask him if I get in the ring for 42 seconds how much I'm going to get paid as the loser. Maybe I'm going <laughs> to... This is second career options here I'm looking into. 
Well, you know, times have changed a little bit in pay scale from the 90s, <laughs> 2000s when he was in to, to nowadays. But let's see. It could be interesting. <laughs> Shane getting knocked the fuck out. Sponsored by one. The only tribute to Metallica. <laughs> and all and podcast reserved. for all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all rights reserved. Copyright. No hosts in the making of the show were injured. <laughs> Not yet, at least. <laughs> We're about to find out. Right behind Jeff's backyard, Mr. Brad Kohler. It's nice to formally meet you, by the way. Oh, yeah, me too. Heard, uh, heard a lot about you guys, so very nice to meet you. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to, to hang out with us. I know it's kind of late. So I, I hear you're a pilot for some... I am Brad, yes. And and you're who I have to blame for all the bad drivers. <laughs> um, fair enough. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm trying kidding, to correct. Right? I'm totally trying to correct the uh, the error of bad drivers. You had me worried, Brad. I thought I was going to get a lost baggage complaint or a uh, flight delayed by eight hours or a mask mandate complaint because that's, that's the world I live in when someone says, oh, you work for such and such? I hate that goddamn place. You know, I don't, I don't throw out complaints. I mean... We all try our okay. best. So most of us try our best. And sometimes no we matter do. what you do, you can't please anybody, you know? My father always said you can uh, please a third of the people all the time, a third of the people half the time, and the other third never. That's right. That sounds about life. Words to live by. Now, yeah, you guys have a band. We do. Yes, we do. Oh, my God. I love it. Jeff is all the talent, Brad. I'm just there to look good. <laughs> is that what You're the eye candy, huh? <laughs> Hey, you know what? He does Lars perfectly. If you ever oh, get a chance it? to come out and see a show, we'll take care of you. It's well, it's it's that. a great time. Is Minnesota home for you? It is. Yeah, I've been here <clears throat> since uh, nineteen ninety seven. Actually, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, yeah. right on. And uh, I actually love Cleveland. That's so that's where I I went back a couple years to Cleveland. Um, <clears throat> I moved back in. Um, uh, early 2015, and then moved back in late 2017, and uh, so I've been. Okay. So it's just a couple of years I was back there, and um, so it was uh, it was nice to get my kids uh, all to myself for a while and kind of get them in the direction, goal setting kind of stuff that I've tried to do, but it kind of gets you know when you only have them every other weekend. And then I then I get full custody of them, and then I raised them, and they graduated. My, my daughter ended up getting, you know, full academic scholarship to every Big Ten college and a couple of Ivy schools, and now she's on wow. full academic scholarship at Wisconsin, which is not nice. easy to get into. And uh, she's there, and <clears throat> she's all. doing excellent. She's getting ready to come home for spring break next week. So good. What'd she play? No, she got an academic academic scholarship. Academic. Oh, okay. Good for yeah. her. Wow. I never got one of those. Jobs. Yeah, no, I, I, I never got one either. I mean, I'd like to think that I was, you know, fairly smart, but definitely not smart enough to get an academic or uh, any kind of sports scholarship. That's for sure. No, I think that includes having to actually go to class and show up on time. And I wasn't in that category half the time. <laughs> Too busy uh, rocking out, you know, playing drums, hanging out with girls, drinking beers. You know, he was living the dazed and confused life. That was my curriculum. I remember in junior high when I wanted to be in a band. And, um, but I tell you, I, I remember those days because I got the big four-inch Kiss boots, you know, shoes. And, you know, this is when Kiss nice. was big. The, and the platform shoes. Oh, my God. I had a buddy who was a lead singer for this band. He sounded just like Steven Tyler. I mean, he sounded just, he just m- mimicked him to the T. And I was like, wow, you know, and so... 
you know, I, I wanted to be in a band back then. It just didn't didn't go that way. Jeff and I couldn't score any girls, so we had to be in a band. <laughs> we, we had to, we had to start playing guitar. That's that's how I captivated <laughs> Amanda's heart. It's kind of like the pro wrestling because I did that too, and they have those certain groupies that follow you around, kind of thing, you know. And yeah, band members and and then the pro wrestlers, the fighters. We don't have groupies. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we don't have the women. I feel like. I feel like nowadays, I mean, it's definitely become a lot more commercialized, you know, with it, it seems like some of the fighters nowadays, they almost take on that pro wrestling kind of personality into the fight. And then obviously it's not a scripted fight. You go in there and you actually do your thing. But it definitely seems like they're they're trying to sell it nowadays as if it's. Yeah, but the pro wrestlers are those big muscular guys with long hair. And, you know, they it's like a rock. Yeah, like macho, macho man, Randy Savage. Yeah, it's like a, it's very much acting out there. And when you're on stage, whether you're, you know, on a band or acting, I mean, you're you're performing. You know, you're all about, oh, oh, you know, they get all revved. I mean, it's kind of not really a turn on to watch some guy get all hot and bothered and you're ready to hit somebody, you know. So it's a whole different theatrical uh, between the entertainment world and the fight world, really. This is true, but when you have one of the most infamous knockouts in MMA history... I- 30 seconds in the first round. I mean, Didn't get me laid, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh, come on, Brad. Tell the truth. Yeah. That's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. Yeah, You know, um, kind of, um, yeah, I always have to really put my mindset to these interviews because I, I don't think about those days a lot. I don't talk about them a lot because just, you know, I think about, oh, this, that, and the other, and those are the days of the pretty much the, the superficial me, you know, and whereas the real me is a completely different person. And so, yeah, those were, that was a great, that was a great day. And a lot of fighters have had great nights and, you know, um, it, it's just um, was one of those things that it was the turning point in my career. The, the height of my career was the turning point. And it was a, a night that the UFC they wouldn't give me a contract. Uh, I was one of the top 10 ranked guys in the world. Yep. Um, Heavyweight, I was correct. managed by Monty Cox, who was also managing Tim Silva. You know, um, Mark Coleman had already gone to Japan. Culture was over in Japan. They were losing all their heavyweights, and they wouldn't give me a title shot. And they wouldn't even give me a three-fight deal after that. So then I went to Japan. So, and then Zufa ended up buying him anyway. And so I just kind of, you know, it kind of was just took that turn, you know. Like, you know, I just wasn't really into the fighting world. Then I started doing the pro wrestling a little bit, which which was like, it was fun because it kind of brought out my personality of who I, because I I was always very quiet. I wasn't really Mm -hmm. well-spoken or... I didn't talk much as far as like interviews and stuff like that goes, but the pro wrestling kind of brings that idea. Heightens it, if you will. Well, you have to have a personality and in fighting, you know, you just kind of go out there and you kind of do your thing. And they really didn't have other than Tito Ortiz back in the day, they didn't have anybody that had any flamboyancy, you know, Tito. And then, you know, of course, Ken Shamrock, 
I mean, Shamrock, yeah. And, and, and I'm not Chuck trying to Liddell. take nothing away from Ken, but he only won two fights. He's he's what two and twenty five or something like that. I mean, I feel like it was it, it was it was his name. Like he was at that time, it was. But it he was created appeal, that persona, but... which was all theatrical. Yeah. Then it got him a big contract and he did well. I mean, did well. And yeah. then you know, really up until Kale Shonen and McGregor, there hasn't been anybody who. I mean, you think of like some of the greats, like Randy was quiet. I mean, yep. Frank, uh, you know, um, uh, Chuck Liddell wasn't all about that. Yeah, he was in a rock and roll video with Nickelback, but he wasn't, still wasn't, <laughs> you know, um, like, whoa, look at me, look at me, you know. These were the guys that I, I you'd hang out with that were really about the professionalism of this and how we were portrayed, not let's bring that negative attention in. And that's the kind of guys I respected back then. You know, once it all started coming into the theatrical so, stuff. and So the guys like Conor McGregor and Colby Covington and like all these guys that really bring that persona to life, not really not really your style? Yeah, I think it's all great. It just wasn't ours back then. It was, we were all, I mean, if you think about the, the, when the driveway was being paved, you know, in most states it was illegal. Mm-hmm. banning countries so we were trying to get this thing to be legalized when we were fighting so <clears throat> we had to be professional if we were doing the stuff that you know mcgregor was doing today that they surely wouldn't have i mean we were called human cockfighters back then so if we were doing that kind of stuff back then it would have brought a lot of negative attention to the sport. Negative attention. You know? Yeah. Whereas now the sport has built so much notoriety that it can afford to have some of this other attention that some of us may or may not like. And it's just, and I respect it all. It's not a big deal. But, you know, Connor brought the sport to another, you know, look at Ronda Rousey wasn't really a big, she wasn't, she really wasn't a great fighter. No, she was good at judo, and but it wasn't until they got real competition. This was like the Hoist Grace of the Women. Hoist used to own the UFC. They had the, the fights all lined up. They knew who was good and who was bad. They didn't let the, the tough guys in when Hoist Grace was a champion. Ronda was good just because she didn't have any competition yet. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, they didn't allow the competition in. They built right. this women fighting up around Ronda. And then, you know, that, and then it, it just took off. When that was going on, when Ronda was the champion, McGregor's coming up, MMA exploded 600%. 600% worldwide. That's crazy. Crazy. It's crazy to think. I mean, that is easily probably one of the largest growing sports of the last two decades. I mean, it just it went from well, kind of underground to completely commercialized and mainstream now. It's the biggest and it's still yeah. by far one of the hardest sports to get into because I mean, you can see that. <laughs> okay. So, so when we were in, you think of 1995 to 1999, when I was in the UFC kind of aspects of, of this whole thing, there was only a handful of schools in the Midwest. Three that you can probably, you know, there was Dick Rufus's school, Pat Militich's and Greg Nelson's. Those three schools, the, the Minnesota Martial Arts Academy, of course, Militich Academy, and Dick Rufus's um, uh, kickboxing school in Milwaukee. Those were the biggest schools to go train for fighting. 
Okay. And where it's at today, I mean, the fighting has not gotten any better. There's not better athletes. Okay. What happened was you had these guys getting into the sport thinking, oh, they want to be a UFC fighter. They go train with somebody for a couple of years or a year. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they decide they want to go off on their own and start their own business, proclaim themselves a, their own belt, black belt. Okay. Yeah. Happens every day. They cl- proclaim themselves a black belt. Now you got a turd training other turds. So all you got more is, a, is a, <laughs> there's a more gray area of turds than the great athletes. And this is why the McGregor situation. And then, um, God, what's his name? The champion uh, from Russia. Um, Oh, Habib Nurmagomedov. Habib, yeah. I mean, you, you got guys like that there. Yeah, they're, they're the diamonds in the rough, okay, because they're actual trained athletes. These are guys who were hungry and came up after it, not these guys who, you know, got off a bar stool and decided to train two hours a night for four nights a week, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, they got set up by the local promoter to get them to the UFC, you know. Like Jake Paul with boxing. <laughs> I know Jake. I went to the, their dad and I have been friends since high school. Really? Yeah. J- Greg Paul is an old friend of mine from high school in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I went to Fairview. He went to Westlake. And mm-hmm. uh, Jake and um, Logan Paul are from Westlake, Ohio. Logan Paul is actually a really smart young man. He was awarded. The- I watch his podcast. He's pretty smart. But I'll tell you what, <clears throat> you know who Urban Meyer is, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Urban Meyer, former coach of Ohio State, was on the engineering department at Ohio University and oh, wow. awarded Logan Paul with the first ever 4.7 GPA football scholarship to Logan Paul. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Did not know that. So, I mean, 4.7. I had a 1.7. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? I give those. Impressive. I, I, you know, I think a lot of people give him a bad rap. I give him all the credit in the world because whether you like it or not, Jake's still getting into the ring with world-class athletes. And it's, you know, that's maybe it's not boxers themselves, but you know what? There's still something to be said about it. And he's got a mean right hook. <laughs> okay. First and foremost. Okay. They started the vine on, on their own street in California. Okay. So these guys are marketing geniuses. Okay. <clears throat> so who wouldn't, fight these guys you any fighter any mma guy that has never had a really good contract with the ufc and i can tell you there's probably been five guys who have multi-million dollar contracts with ufc maybe five okay year after year they may have had a partial year but you get someone like logan paul says i'll give you a million dollars guarantee and 100th percent of the pay-per-view buys if you fight me and we're going to work this thing like pro wrestling we're going to be at each other this and and that's what it's all about these guys are marketing geniuses yeah it's all about selling it's all about the money you know and you know so i mean this guy exploded youtube yeah both those guys they kind of just took over the whole youtube phenomenon at one point it seemed hey good for them yeah, I mean, hey, if you can if you can make your money and do something that, you know, you love to do, I mean, do those it. guys, yeah, exactly. Those guys in their eyes and, probably and, don't ever work a day in their lives. And for and for them that may be their goal, but one day they may may wake up and say, hey, maybe it's not all about the money. Maybe it's really how people see who I really am." You know, and again, 
not the superficial me, but who I really am, you know? And yep. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're in their Christianity and their faith and, you know, do they give, do they help people? I mean, really what, what does the, 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 some people happy is not what does other people happy. You know I mean? These guys, they're young. And when we're young, we all think about the Benjamins. We all think about becoming famous, this, that, and the other. These guys did it because they worked for it. They did a really good job. Right. Even with the whole thing in Japan, it's like one of those things. Okay, he learned by his mistake. Didn't curl up in a ball all depressed. He moved forward like a successful person should. And and he overcame it. You know. And that's how it should so, be. Yeah. I, I think you know more kudos to him. Brad, can we go back to the beginning, back to the front? Uh, tell us, tell us about growing up. When did you really get serious about this? What was what was maybe your first fight, maybe street fight, and when did you say, you know what, I think I can, I can do this for real? Okay, well, well you know, I, I grew up as a wrestler, football player, and I was, I excelled in those two sports. I'm uh, the most decorated athlete from my high school. You know, I was a state champ, state, okay. you know, football, you know, um, and. Um, so, uh, and which is saying a lot because my high school fear of you in West Side of Ohio used to be Division One, which is the biggest. They're not anymore; they shrunk quite a bit. But we were we competed with St. Ed's and St. Ignatius and you know Cincinnati Moeller and I mean the big schools, you know the all Catholic schools who we competed against these kind of people, and we would always do very well. Okay, um, so um, uh. You know, I had that drive basically for my coaches to, you know, overcome things and, you know, work hard. And um, so it was, it was kind of nice. I, you know, I went off to college and just after spending time on a few different college campuses, and even though I was an outstanding athlete, I just wasn't for college, you know. So I, I started my own business and I was doing very well in my own business. And then it's kind of like, you know, um, ran into Mark Holman at Ohio State. And uh, we, we, we started talking. I was, you know, out, out of wrestling for about five years. He was um, getting ready to leave for the 92 Olympics. And we've been training and training. Came back and, and I think he finished seventh in the Olympics in 1992. And then um, Barcelona. he was still coaching at Ohio State. And I started getting in there. And, and I wasn't a coach. I was one of those guys that came in and, you know, they respected me because I was a former state champ. And I, you know, from Ohio and. And so, you know, and, and with a lot of the guys, they, they know it's really not, you know, like the coaches, you know, they, it's about what you know that can help them. So I, I started getting that itch again to start wrestling again. So Mark and I started training together every day. And, of course, I got my butt handed to me every day. A, I was going to say that's a hell of a sparring partner. <laughs> well, Kevin Randleman, too. Oof. Yeah. Kevin Randleman, you know, wow. three-time national champion was, oh, yeah. was the other oh. guy I'd wrestle with. Okay. So. So um, it was. Uh, so you're basically in life thinking I've got a business put together, things are good, and then this itch comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and and so uh, you know, so I'm working full time at McDonald's at the time in the mornings, and and then I'm I'm also running my own business, and then I'm coaching and and wrestling at night. So I gave up my business, just worked opening a McDonald's, and then I would I would just help out at Ohio State mostly. Like I said, just wrestle to get in shape. So I was trying to really push for the 1996 trials. And um, so I think this was 1995. We're, we're at the wrestling house at Ohio State. Mark Coleman, Nick Nutter, Ray Mendoza, all the 
mean, top guys. We, this is when I think they finished fifth in the nation. And um, you see Randleman and a couple guys, you know, wrestling in the kitchen and having, you know, this was like, you know, like Animal House. It was awesome, you know. <laughs> and uh, But these guys are such great guys. Good time. I mean, such really great guys, you know. And, and knew I was, you know, kind of me and Coleman were the old guys, but Coleman was a badass, you know. And and uh, so no one messed with Marcus. He was he was the real deal, as you know. He became the how I many UFC champions and Pride champion, right? Yep. So he wasn't one to mess with. But he was he's such a good guy, and we became really good friends. And uh, so we were out training one night, and we decided to go meet some of the football players. As a matter of fact, it was um, Luke Fickle and some of his offensive offensive linemen, defensive linemen from Ohio State wrestling. Who, got, who was now the head coach at Cincinnati. So we decided to go meet them at this bar on High Street called Victory. And some guy just, I mean, these, I'm like the smallest guy. I mean, I'm only five foot seven. These guys are like six five. I mean, they're huge. And they go, this guy goes running and there's like plowing between these guys and then bounces off of me. And I'm like, you know, oh, excuse me, you know. And he starts mouthing with me. I'm like, and I just, go after this guy and Coleman grabs me and he said, he goes, cooler, calm down. Cops are coming. I'm like, okay, okay. The cops come over. <laughs> I swear this is a true story. We believe you. So come on. Cops come over and go, Hey guys, this guy's been kicked out of three bars. We saw what happened. We're going to walk this way. <laughs> you want to do something about this? That's up to you. I go, Whoa. So, Wow. I said and did whatever yes, I needed to get this guy to fight me. So as soon as he comes at me, I, I've never done a front, front choke hold in my life. Was, I was just wrestling, right? So he came at me, and I'm holding him, and we're up against the wall. And so then um, he's trying to, like, punch me in the nads. And so I'm blocking. <laughs> and so as I pull him up. Street fight rules. <laughs> as I pull him up, it's like a Muay Thai grab, and I uppercut him. And he goes right down and out, and there's blood all over the place. Nice. And, of course, Coleman, Mr. Kudos. I mean, Mark, if Mark's – now, he is sober now, okay? And for the past eight months, Mark's been sober and doing very well with his Christianity and his, his soberness. But if there was a day that Mark Coleman didn't wake up to two bong hits and at least five <laughs> before practice, okay? I mean, this guy – in a, get a bottle blind, of Jack, right? <laughs> Bottle of Jack Daniels every day. I'm not joking, okay? So he, so Mark, okay, he's like, you know, you think, oh, your buddy just got in a fight. What's the last thing you want to start yelling? Your buddy's name. <laughs> yeah. Kohler, Kohler, let's get out of here. Kohler, come on, let's get out of here. I'm like, oh, Mark, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and now they know my name. So Dude, shut the fuck up. We're running to the car. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm in, and I'm sweating. I'm like, I got blood on me. I'm like, he goes, oh, my God, Kohler, I got to get in the UFC. I go, I'm looking, I'm going, you didn't even fight, you know? <laughs> you know so he watched you got all amped up. That's and- kind of how we got into it, you know? And um, so then, um, wow. you know, Mark, Mark, Mark looked into a couple people, and he ended up with this manager out of Arizona that was just a shyster. And he, the, his manager actually ended up going to prison. Um, and I won't get into that, but uh, – yeah, and then Mark, the rest was history. Mark formed the Hammer House in Columbus, and so I was I was training with the Hammer House, Militich, and the Academy. Amazing how that started off of that evening. Yeah, literally, that's crazy. Yeah, 
he was like, Kohler, I got to get in this UFC. As you both have blood on you. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was just watching. I was. I had the blood on me. Uh, and then, you know, um, I moved back to Minnesota then. I was raising my daughter. And my, my ex left us to Minnesota. So um, I moved up here to try to you know, be a family kind of thing. And so I left work and everything. Mark got in a lot of trouble for growing marijuana. So they kicked us out of Ohio State. So we weren't allowed. We, we trained there off, off practice times. And then we'd go work out on our own. But uh, he got in trouble for he was renting an apartment and was growing marijuana, which Old history, it made national news, but, you know, um, no big deal. And then um, he was out there training for it. And then he had to pay the rent somehow. <laughs> in Bloomington, Minnesota, training at a lifetime. Uh, I had Ohio State wrestling on my, you know, I'm training. Me, and a couple guys going, hey, you wrestle? I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you ever you ever think about doing jujitsu? And I swear I had no idea what he's talking about. Like jujitsu. Yeah, never heard of it. You know, like MMA. Go, oh, yeah, I thought about it. Well, I got a fight coming up. The guy says, I got a fight coming up. He's in Mark Waters. I still talk to the guy. And um, <clears throat> I got a fight coming up. I, I got to fight a wrestler. Would you help me? You know, and I'm like, sure. So I went and trained with him. Saying, wow, it was a great workout, right? These guys tapped me out like every which way you can the first two weeks. So I learned how to do all this stuff. And then um, about a month into this, I, I started really doing well with it and I caught on to it pretty quick and you know protected myself and wasn't getting submitted no more and um, he ended up popping his knee like running or somehow and couldn't compete in the hook and shoot that Jeff Osborne if you know who Jeff Osborne is he's one of the first announcers of the UFC yep and um, he ran this show called the hook and shoot early days yeah this is 1997 okay so Jeff ran this thing called the hook and shoot, and which is absolutely. Jeff was you know, four years old in '97, Brad. Hey, but you know what? I've gone back and I've dug deep into my my <laughs> UFC history as I've gotten into it. Just like new Metallica fans, they dive in at the age of ten and learn the last forty I years. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, right. Hey, you know. that's all right. But uh, so this was bare knuckle, headbutts, no rules, no rounds, and you're in a corner of a room in this like judo school so you're in a corner of a room i kid you not there was a, like a pipe coming up from the ground that they padded and put tape on then oh, there's God. one coming out the wall that's also duct tape and padded and you have this probably a 15 by 10 mat i'm talking the velcro ones back then and and i'll be on and sure the academy greg nelson school the minnesota martial arts academy we didn't have mats back then. We had carpet to train on. Ooh, That's where we train our jujitsu and wrestling. So That's we got you know just all, all ground you know, grappling stuff and on carpet. That would be rough. It, no, it was. It was on a concrete carpet floor. That's where we trained. Sean Shirk, Dave Manet, those are my training partners. You know, um, and I'll tell you, you know, the room when I go down to military school was, you know, of course. Matt Hughes, Jens Pulver, Tim Silva, Rich Franklin, sometimes Mark Coleman and Kevin Randleman. You had Robbie Lawler came in, Tim Silva. I mean, and then me, Dave Manet, Sean Shirk. I mean, that was the room. That's a stacked room right there. (laughs) Jeremy Horn. Okay. So, I mean, 
yeah, if you won a takedown there that day, you were fighting for it every day. So, but you know, you have 11 world champions in one room practice, and that's part of the, you know, the team that Monty Cox put together. So I go to this tournament down in Indiana called the Hook and Shoot. I have no idea what I'm getting into. And then my first fight is against Travis Fulton, one of the most experienced fighters at the time, which I think wow. it was like, I don't know, 19 and three. Okay. So it's my first fight, and this guy's already fought 21 times. 20, yeah. And so <clears throat> when did you feel you were ready? Your team told you you were ready, or you just thought you had a grasp on it, and you're like, I think I'm ready for a tournament? You know, I've always been one to jump in opportunities, man. I just said, you know, okay. I don't, I'm not going to say no, you know. Yeah, when opportunity comes knocking on the door, you might as well answer it. You never know what's going to happen. You know, you've, mm -hmm. I, I just actually finished third in the Olympic trials in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I'm in great shape. Okay. I'm only 205 pounds. So I'm, and right back then there was mm -hmm. no weight divisions. So, right. Yeah. You in know, the early days. There was no weight divisions. Um, so, uh, yeah, I ended up fighting Travis Fulton. He was about 225 pounds, big kid, you know, big young kid. And, uh, and uh, so I ended up, you know, of course, taking him down. And I was on on top headbutting him. Now, in Sure Dog, it says 57 minutes. But I kid you not, I got the tape. It's an hour and 10 minutes straight, okay? <laughs> okay. No rounds. Now, I headbutted Travis over 100 times. So Damn, and finally, he, he ended up, he finally quit after, after that time. And I was like going, I was so delirious from all the headbutts trying to get this guy to quit that I'm like, Oh my God. You know? And then I go, Greg, Greg Nelson's in my corner. And he's like, all right, let's get you some water. Let's get you get some ice on you. This, that, and you know, you got to fight again in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What? <laughs> all right. All right. So I go in the bag. Like, oh, geez, I'm stretching out again. I'm still hot. Don't let yourself cool down. 20 minutes. So now Holy I got this you know, big judo guy from New York who's a cop, like third-degree judo, who is like 280 pounds. And <clears throat> so he's wearing a big, thick gi that was thick. I mean, it's like, oh, my, you're trying to grab this guy. So I tie up with him, and he uppercuts me in the nose. I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> you know, different game plan. Let's get this guy to the ground. So I ended up getting him yep. to the ground, and we, we were, um, I think, down for about 20 minutes. And finally, I got in a really good position, and I, I, I threw a hook shot to his ribs and broke his ribs through the gi. So, um, Damn. so he tapped out. That's why, that's why Hoist Gracie wore the gi back in the day, right? Because people would be able no, to grab actually, on you know, or grab a, hold of, grab a hold of him, and they could get him close and bring him down. The gi is a good weapon to choke you in all kinds of ways. Even if you got get use your sleeve around the guy's throat. I mean, so there's, it, it's like, you know, having a, a, a rope and a noose out there that you're wearing that you can use against somebody if you get a chance. But the only problem with that is when punches are included, it's really hard to choke somebody out with a gi when you're getting blasted in the face with punches. So either you right. sacrifice trying to choke the guy out or you start blocking punches. So that's, a, that's what's bad about the gi. Um, but if you're watching these jujitsu matches with the gi, it's, they're, they're more boring because they're trying to wrap you up like a boa constrictor. It's, it's crazy. I couldn't imagine competing in a gi. I feel like it'd be so warm. It's very warm. <laughs> I mean, 
hell we we play shows you know we're on stage you know and we're playing 90 minutes sometimes two hours and i'm in you know jeans and a t-shirt and that's man i couldn't even imagine being like full-on gi you know pajamas basically jeff i'm half naked and i'm sweating right exactly but he has to swing his arms around for two hours so yeah it's a it's a material sauna suit what it is brad after a fight like that i mean you only have 20 minutes to rest you get back into it i've always always wondered about fighters boxers what do you feel like the next morning when you get out of bed (laughs) well i had a third fight after that what okay after a third fight so after headbutting three guys about 200 times yeah my head was so swollen i couldn't get a head on so it took a day for me to really get out of bed it was like really you know, but here's the thing, you know, it really, it wasn't about the money I won or the belt. Um, it was the fact that I, I didn't quit when I was like, you know, um, and then you Absolutely. think about the things you go through in life, let alone as mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, these things you go through and, and you, you, you went through these things, you know, and, you know, through God's grace, you figure it out going, Okay, you know, do I quit? Is it in me to quit? Is that what this is supposed to be? Because, you know, um, I always say, you know, the will to win is nothing compared to the will to prepare to win. Mm -hmm. So if you prepare yourself to win, then you got to believe in yourself so much that you don't want to quit. And unless you unless you absolutely have to quit, like through, you know, referee stoppage an eye or broken arm or something like that or some kind of other injury but you know if you don't go through that fear point of you know once you engage you're no longer afraid the adrenaline's kicking in now you know mm-hmm. so it's like All right okay i can do this again i can do this again you know i never cared what what people thought of me you know, i'm used to being out there alone because you're a wrestler you're out there alone you know that's one yeah. of the things about, you know, not having to worry about the team because, you know, you, it's all on you. That's what I love about the sport, the accountability. Like it's it's you and one other person and one person's walking away victorious. And I love that because you can't blame it on a team. You can't blame it on any other person. It's just that's something that really drew me to sure. the sport, you know, or combat sports, I should say. And, and no excuse. I've had my losses because I wasn't ready had my losses because I got injured. I, you know, as I got older, I realized that I got to start having an exit strategy here. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, actually, um, my exit strategy didn't go the way I wanted to. So I had to rethink that. And, you know, they say, you know, <clears throat> champions don't have a plan B. They just readjust plan A. Okay. And so I got really sick for a while in 2002. And had to go through chemo and surgeries and stuff like that. And then once I made a comeback for that, I'm getting ready to fight again in 2008. And um, I end up in an ultralight crash. So, and, and the damage was very, very extensive. Um, uh, I, I, they actually had to bring me back to life. Okay. So the, the extent of the damage was really bad. And um, uh, so I, they had to reattach my stomach, my intestines. They had to put a bar in my left leg because the propeller almost chopped my leg off. So it was about a year wow, dude. of, you know, basically you end up getting hooked on pain medicine. You end up 
not able to be coherent and functional. So, and you can't, you're not very mobile, I suppose. I lost everything I had at the time. And, um, and, uh, so I got in trouble and, uh, uh, and, uh, ended up a violation of probation with some things and had to spend time, time in the workhouse again. I, I never went to like jail or prison. I, I had to do some time in the workhouse. I, I had a assault in 2001. Um, I had the kids in the car and I just put it lightly. Some, uh, a couple of guys put me and my kids in danger and I just dealt with it, you know, and, uh, is what it is. It wasn't a road mm-hmm. rage. It was, you know, these guys were doing something they should have done. And, you know, there's no way I was gonna let my kids get hurt, you know? So hundred percent, I, I do the same thing. So I, uh, you know, got in trouble for that because of who I was at the time. Front headlock here again. Wrestler using front headlock and the knee as a backup. Holder does have great speed. Good lateral movement. Oh, my goodness! Wow! That's it. I'll tell you what, Jeff. That is as impressive as we have seen. Yeah, of a knockout in a long time. It is Brad Kohler knocked out Steve Judson. Steve was taken to a local hospital. He has been released. He is just fine, and he will be back to fight. In 1999, if I never had that knockout punch and become some big jacked UFC human cockfighter, uh, that probably wouldn't have happened, you know, because I was now a target as a public figure. The prosecutors yeah. wanted to throw the book at me. In the process of going to court in a couple of years of the sentencing process, I ended up getting very sick. So I didn't end up plea bargaining, which I didn't want to do, but I just, I was so sick and just wanted to get this over with. And um, so I ended up plea bargaining. And so I had a very extensive probation rather than, you know, going to prison or whatever. When the ultralight crash happened again, I end up in another bad, wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. And even though I didn't commit the crime because of my probation, it, it violated me. And again, I was, I was hooked on painkillers because, and I was still not able to function as a, as a human being because I was so messed up, um, you know, end up having to do some time. And while I was in this time, I really decided, I started writing my own biography and, when I started writing that, I didn't like who I was. I found I was reading it and like, oh my God, I'm, this is not who I want to be. You know, so <clears throat> I had uh, I'd lost everything I had. I had a, a beautiful home and cars and, you know, I had some nice things. But again, it was all materialistic. that could absolutely be replaced. So I ended up uh, homeless when I got out of jail. I spent a few months in the workhouse and re-, re uh, developing myself to the person I really wanted to be. You know, so I still have my biography I've been working on that uh, maybe one day, I don't know, I'm not thinking movie, but I'm thinking more or less of, of, of a good story that, you know, all the trials and tribulations I've been through in my life and have been able to bounce back even higher than the last mm-hmm. time I fell was was one of the things I like to attribute to that. You know, even though maybe I started out, and I would say this too, it's like, you know, if you can't look back when you're young and realize you're an idiot, you're still an idiot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized I was yes. an idiot and had to make some change. Very well said. Um, and everybody loves a comeback story. You know, you think so, you know, but uh, it's uh, 
if you hear the whole story and not just what happened, you know, and, um, and yeah. again, it wasn't like I did anything to maliciously hurt anybody. I didn't go looking for it. It just kind of came at me and, you know, you, right. you know, you get someone who's, you know, uh, not physically, you know, capable of, of beating up a, you know, a UFC fighter and they come at you and start swinging. Well, I don't know. <laughs> My yeah, right. money's on the, the guy that's skilled. Okay. Exactly. It's, I think, I, so. I think, I think recently <laughs> Chael Sonnen got into it with some people and, uh, cause they were, they were talking or touching his wife or something. There was like a bunch of dudes and he, he took them down. And next thing you know, it, you know, it's like the UFC fighter, you know, and you got John Jones, you know, there's always things going on with him in the press too. So it's like, I could definitely see how that could easily turn into putting you as a target in a situation like that. That's Hey, it's even guys like Elon Musk, you know, Elon Musk, you know, they, they try, they still beat this guy up every day in the news, but do you think they, they praise him for giving away $5 billion in stock to charity? No, $5 billion. It's just mainstream news. They're never going to, you know, that hit for about 30 seconds. Then they, okay, what else can we rip on them about? So exactly. Yeah. The, the negative news is so much more stronger impacted than the, the positive news. Jeff, if I go to jail, I'm going to look around the room and go, yep, there's Brad, everyone. That's my friend right there. I'm, I'm, I'm in good hands. <laughs> well, you know, um, good guy to have on your side, right? It's, uh, it's, it, it, you know, being in jail, even the little workhouse where I was at, it's, you know, you got all kinds of characters, but most and foremost, it's very loud. It's, it's character testing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And can you overcome people trying to trip you up? And, you know, hustle you and try to start a fight with you. And it's like, can you just get through this without, you know, you know, having to fight your way out of it, you know? And um, so that was like a very mentally challenging thing to, you know, I want to say become friends with these people, but get along with them to where you, right, you know, know your, your boundaries and you, you know, stay cool with them and they don't try to test you as like, you know, oh, they want to try to knock out the UFC veteran guy. And, you know, I got to tell you, man, you know, I, I've been in a street fight and it, there's no winners in that. You know, it's like, you know, most of these guys that, that don't train, it's like going, really, dude, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's just it's so simple. It's so easy to, you know, for these guys that don't train to just take them down and put them in position and go, you ain't quit now or you want you know really get hurt or you want and, um, right but it doesn't make you look any better it's still, and you, you actually end up getting hurt doing it because you know you train for a fight so you put your body through hell to train for this one night of possible glory or defeat and but what you put yourself and then your average training every day it, it's not like i live weights all the time but if i went out and got in a fight today I'd probably have to take a week off because my old body would be like, oh, my God, what do you do? <laughs> sure. And and yeah. so no real fighter wants to fight. There's no money in it. Nobody really wins. And chances are the experienced person is probably going to face some charges and, and take all the backlash. Mm-hmm. Brad, what would you say is the biggest misconception of professional fighting or even wrestling? Misconception? Yeah. I mean, someone like me on the couch watching it on TV versus you that's been in the business for most of your life. People think it's easy. They, they do. Yeah. Oh, you know, I could do that. I mean, you know, I could have done this. I could have done this. I'm like, 
can you just stop? Yo, I don't want to talk about it, you know? Right. I said, look, yeah, right. you didn't show up to the gym. You didn't show up to practice. You didn't show up. To, okay, you couldn't have because you didn't show up. And that's what you got to do. You got to show up. And a lot of people just, they think training for something like this is easy. Oh, I'll give it six months. And, you know, and true story. I had a guy show up at my gym last year calling up all the gyms around saying, yeah, I want to, I want to train for the UFC. Okay. Um, what's your background? Well, I just got back from Afghanistan. Oh, so you military train? Well, no, not really. You know, but I, I, I work out I'm like, okay. So he's being real like secretive about it. Okay. And, uh, so Thinks uh, just cause he works out, he can fight. <laughs> and I go, well, I don't, I don't train fighters no more. And like, you know, here call this gym, call that gym. And they say, well, Brad, they say you have all the connections. You're the guy who knows where I go. Well, I, I do, but I don't know you. And, I, you know, so I go, well, you know, why don't you come? I have a Christian group in the morning, me and the guys train. Why don't you come train with us? Let's see what kind of shape you're in, okay? So I was working out with the guy, and this guy shows up with a baby bump, okay? I mean, he's got, he looks like he's pregnant. <laughs> right, he's 38 years old. Throw me in the cage, coach. He's 38 years old. And I'm talking to that guy, right? And now I go, so did you ever wrestle? Oh, yeah, I was a state champ in Arizona. I go, oh, you know Mike Van Arsdale? Bobby Douglas? Nope, never heard of him. That's like They're saying state champ. you're from Iowa and don't know who Dan Gable is. Okay, <laughs> If you don't know those two guys in Arizona, Mike Davies, Mike Van Arsdale, or Bobby Douglas, you, didn't, you weren't a state champion. Uncle Rico. So <laughs> we're working now. I'm just kind of getting to know the guy, and he's he's being real cocky. So he he wants to like start training and fighting. So I'm like, okay, let's hold the focus mitts for him. Let's teach him. I got him on my combo hitters, throwing punches. I'm like, I'm watching him throw punches. I'm like, dude, have you ever been taught how to throw a punch? And so I'm teaching him, and he's like, give me these nasty looks. I'm like, going, you you can't just wail away. You gotta you know, you gotta move with it. You know. And I'm trying to teach him. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he comes in one day and I, I'm usually very like mild and relaxed. And, and um, my training partner, Terrell, <clears throat> and he's a big black guy, super nice guy. We've been friends for 10 years and um, I'm on the bike. The, this kid, Steve's on the bike and he looks up at me, goes, so 14 losses. I looked you up. I go, good morning to you too. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> wow, that's that's standoffish as hell. <laughs> wow. I said, but you know, I go, yeah, there's I had some losses, no, no doubt about that. But I started my career off eleven and zero, very excited, and kind of just kind of went to the different. He goes, but you lost as much as you won. I go, yeah, it's part of it. It's part of it. You know, and and I I started I, my first fight. I was thirty three years old. So it wasn't like I was 21 years old. This guy has no fights, no wrestling background. He's starting at 38 years old. I'm like, you know not, what? Yeah, not happening. <laughs> you know what? Let's go on the mat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't turn out very wow. well. We Good never luck, saw sir. him again. Yeah, never to be seen again. But I never saw him again. But I tell you, just from that two minutes of just, okay, here comes an arm bar. Okay, here comes a reverse choke. Okay, here comes a leg. I'm like doing all these things. And he's trying to stop me. And just for that two or three minutes, I was sore for a week. <laughs> I kid you not, man. And wow. so 
you know, you and you start on the ground, you, you tie up and, you know, you, you get the guy down, you, you, you get side mount, then you get mount, then you start playing with somebody like that. And it's just like, God, you know, I, why did I do that? But well, he's gone. So that's enough of that story. But you know, yeah. this is what happens. <laughs> they, they think that they can hold their own against an elite trained athlete, you know? Yep. They think just because they see it on TV, it's like putting a good sized junior high kid on the NFL field. Oh mm. God. He'll be destroyed. Yeah, no, it's yeah, absolutely. It's a different level of play. It's a very fast game. And you think I about see it all the time. You see these athletes. Go ahead, sorry. Yep. I was gonna say you see these athletes, you know, there's a UFC fighter that I'm a big fan of, Kevin Holland. He's been posting these videos on his Instagram of guys that are commenting saying I'll be I'll be down at the gym. I'll meet you there. Like I can take you down. I'll submit you this and that. And he posts a video and he's just he's just toying with them. And like it's nothing. He's like, you know, remember people, us, you know, in this organization, we are the top of the you know, the league. Like yeah. this is this is what you do. Not everybody can just jump in, and I can definitely see that as a misconception that people think it's easy. Like, oh, just because he can do it, I can go out and do it too. As you progress with high school football, college football, and pros, as you know, that the game gets faster as the guys get bigger. So only a certain percentage of the best college athletes that are the fastest and biggest and most talented make it to the NFL. So the speed of college is slower, than, although it looks great because it's it's, just, it's some of the great athletes really stick out in college. When you get to the NFL, everybody's a world-class athlete. Not four guys on each side of the field. Everybody. 22 guys on the field are world-class athletes. Now, when you get to the UFC, if you make it to the UFC, you've got to have a certain amount of wins, uh, a certain uh, ranking, and, and basically a lot of experience. Because, you know, although they may not pay you very well, okay, but certainly you got to get to that level somehow. And by doing that, it's usually by wins. You know? Right. Yep. And, and training. You have to train to win. So, you know, even if some guys just made it to the UFC and maybe he had a loss but went three rounds, that's still way better than most, you know, college wrestlers who have never even fought before, you know? So it's just, uh, it's a whole different level of play. You're on, you know, you're on 1% of 1% of the people in the world that make it to the UFC, you know, where now you got how many players of an NFL team that make it or NBA team, how many people make it on a team. Okay. So the percentages shrink if you want to be in that. It's definitely. Okay. And you think of the top two heavyweight boxers right now. I mean, Fury and what's his name? Wilder. Uh, Wilder? De- Deontay Wilder. Yeah. Yep. These guys are in the 100th of 1% of the top boxer heavyweights in the world. Yeah, those guys are on another level. Well, it's 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 a numbers game because, you know, people go, oh, you know, I what I would do, what I would do, I'm like, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Monday morning quarterbacking. You no, know, it's, it is what it gets. It, it's, um, you know, people, you know, they, they feel better putting people down is, is one of the things rather than respecting the hard work that goes. So, again, to answer your question, people think this is easy. 
where do you see the sport in the next five, 10 years, Brad? That's a good question. I, I don't, I don't see it changing much. Now I do see some changes being made. I, you know, I see, um, three guys against one. <laughs> I see some crazy stuff like that coming out, you know, but, um, I see five against five, you know, I see all that kinds of stuff like that going on. I see where people are trying to be creative with the sport to me for me at theatricals, but all in all, I think the, the true, you know, the true, um, I guess, you know, where it's really at is the mano y mano, the one-on-one, yeah. one person against another person who has mm-hmm. actually earned the right to be mm-hmm. in that position against another person that's earned the right to be there. And so I, I actually think I see it going back to let's just stick with the basics because that's what works rather than keep trying to reinvent right. the wheel, you know? Yeah. So I yep, see sure. I see the women's coming in another full circle with the women's division has really it's really jumped a lot well the women's divisions have both changed hands how many times except for rose who's been and rose changed right here she trains right here locally you know she does yeah i know i the area that she trains at is yeah it's right really close to my house yeah yeah well that's the school i was their first ufc fighter and then sean shirk dave Manet, and then you know from there brock lesnar was one yeah so um yep lesnar but um I see the the women's fighting um, to the point where we're going to see another Ronda Rousey that doesn't look like Ronda Rousey, you know. Um, I mean, you don't think it was Amanda Nunes? <laughs> you know, I mean, um, she was doing pretty good for a while there. We call her a man Nunes. Okay, right. She's she's pretty <laughs> she's pretty beefy. And uh, Chris, and Chris Guyborg. Okay. Um, oh, she, I swear she is a dude. Well, I didn't know. I gotta be honest with you. You know, I'm, I don't really like making fun of people, but they're very talented people. They're good. hundred percent. hundred percent. More kudos to them, you know? And, um, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. Again, it's the discipline and the respect you got to give people like that, regardless of, um, you know, who they are. I mean, they made it to the top and more kudos to them. Now, what's your name? Um, what's the little blonde? Um, Valentina Shevchenko. No, no, no. From 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 the um, Jessica I days. Cute little blonde on Instagram now, making money on Instagram. Made that comment. I make more money on Instagram than I do in UFC. What's her name? Van Zant. Page Van Zant. Page Page Van Zant. Yeah, see, th- these are. These are your Barbie dolls they throw in there to get beat up anymore. And I think that I, I think that's yeah, what's going to change. She, that yeah, they she don't wasn't need to bring green. in the Barbie dolls no more. I think that the the Ronda Rousey was, again, the one. She was the true person who brought in Misha Tate and this, and what brought it all, you know, to the awareness of solid women athletes in the, in the fight world. But I think it's going to come full circle with, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, some of the girls may not be like that, but, you know, as far as skill-wise, man, you got to respect that. They're, they're talented and they're tough. It, maybe sure. they'll add in concerts like the Triangle Triller event, that Triangle ring they had. where I, That was the one that Metallica played. Oh, really? Metallica played a yeah, boxing match. Yeah, yeah, they played a boxing Rock match. Rock and Rumble, and it was, buddy. I think Triller. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Triller is the one that put it on and the ring was shaped like a triangle is the really? craziest thing. Yeah, it was triangle at uh ATT Stadium in Dallas uh four or five months oh ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and the they did the fight and the Metallica played afterwards. Like, can you imagine if they started combining heavy metal and fights in the same night, did that regularly? That'd be crazy. A lot of beer being poured that night. <laughs> Lots of beer, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the corporate commercial world of making a lot of money. Budweiser and Miller Miller won't mind that. No, they love that. Especially when you got fifty thousand people in the yeah, football no, stadium. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take that back. I was at the baseball stadium, the uh, Rangers building. Well, good for them. I mean, again, um, I, I think trying to come up with some creative ideas to bring people together in a wholesome entertainment environment, I think is great. You know, it's when the fans get out of hand and start being idiots that ruin the event. I think that's what you know brings the, the negative impact to it. And I think that can be said for any kind of event, whether oh, it's sure. a sporting event, a concert, anything like that, because we all know that we've seen our fair share of rioting during or after a concert that you know it really ruins the whole evening for everyone. Yeah, no, it does. Brad, do you think the, the, the commercial corporate things have gotten too big or the more the better for the sport? Yeah, I think it'd be better if, if the athletes were seeing a piece of it, you know? And they, they yeah. still cut athletes for sure. You know, no real realistic reason other than they lost. You know, so the pressure's on you to keep winning. I mean, I mean, you really don't see Steve Emios going to make a comeback to try to get his belt back because why? He knows that they, they used him. You know, and I mean, he sure. was he was good for a while. He took down DC and got the belt, and then got taken out by Francis. And well, oh, I don't yeah. think that's I mean, going to happen again. And he's a smart guy, and he's still a firefighter. So I mean, he is a firefighter. That's very cool to see someone as highly ranked as him too doing something that's so. You know, it's. it's I, I just I like yeah. it. No, he's he's from Cleveland. He was a state champ. He's also great in baseball, and um, he trains at the um, um, uh, strong style that one of my friends, Marcus Marinelli, owns, who was also an Ohio State wrestler and trained Steve Emielsen. You've got you've got some friends in some high places, that's for sure. Well, I got them hitting my combo hitter. You know, I got to keep banging that thing out. So, All right, gentlemen, how much to put me in the ring and get my ass beat? What, what kind of check am I taking home at the end of the night for that? Can we put Shane up against – Well, we, we can't let him go against an actual fighter. He can go up against someone who knows how to fight. We put up against Joe Rogan. <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan knows how to fight. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is a fucking Joe badass. Joe Rogan is intense, man. I, I don't. I wouldn't. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. No, no, I wouldn't either. The hard, hardest kick ever. I'm good. Let's see. Um, I tell you, uh, I think some, something like you know, you got Don Fry, who's in a walker right now. You have a chance with. Okay, I can call. Hey, I can call my buddy <laughs> Butterbean. Butterbean's a great guy. I can give him a call right oh, now. Oh, Butterbean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Butterbean. He was he was a hell of a fighter yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And for the record, I That's was not saying that that Shane or I could keep up with Joe Rogan. That was a joke. No, I said I want to get in the ring. Sponsored by <laughs> Airlines. Shane lasts forty two seconds. What kind of paycheck am I walking away with? Well, it depends. <laughs> Is this <laughs> for charity? charity? No, it's not. <laughs> You know what? Uh, you're better. I'll off. tell you what. If you if you're good, I was gonna say if Shane can last forty two seconds, he might actually walk away with a sizable paycheck if it's against someone someone worthy. If it's it's gonna be tough. Forty two seconds, maybe. I'm just gonna play defense. But MMA, they shoot. They get you on the ground. You're gonna take some hits. 
Okay, 42 seconds. I want to know when we're talking about those, you know, the blonde girls getting beat up quick. What what am I walking oh, away with for the night? I'm, I'm not familiar with the with the loser, <laughs> the loser chick. He just wants to know how much he's making for losing after 42 I seconds. I want an amount for losing and lasting 42 seconds before I am fucking bloodied and being taken out on the ambulance, Brad. What's he making in a main event? We'll give him the big shot. As the loser. Probably 500 bucks. Why don't you pay your doctor bill? Holy cow. I'm going to have a fucking headache the next morning. I don't know if it's worth it for me, Jeff. You know, the only reason why CM Punk got in the UFC because of the of the the bias he could bring. But he had no chance. Right. Sure. Okay. Well, no, he was way sure. too old when he started, too, in his MMA career in general. He, was, he never really trained doing that stuff. He fought a, a really unknown fighter who was very young, never been in the UFC either. Mickey Gall. I remember that fight. Yeah, and got nailed, man. I mean, but I mean... So, but he made, I think, what, $3 million? Yeah, well, it's because it's CM Punk. He already brought in a draw. You know, if you're one of the big names, Connor, you know, Jorge Masvidal, any of those those big guys, John Jones, I mean, those guys are making a lot of money. But if, yeah, if you're a nobody, I don't think they get paid as, as well as they should. I agree. You know, and, you know, the endorsements just aren't there. They're, they're just not there for MMA like they used to be. I mean, we used to be able to get our own sponsors and, do our own thing and kind of whatever, but, um, you know, it's just not there, you know? All right, Jeff, I'm going to stick to flying the airplanes and playing the drums half naked. A lot safer for me. Yeah. And I'm moving playing on. Playing drums politics. is good. <laughs> hey, you What's know, that, Brad? I'm moving on to politics. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's, uh, I had a gym and, you know, um, we got shut down for the pandemic, which, you know, I thought was absolutely crazy, you know, and, I have no, I, I have no beef about the whole thing because it's really it was virgin territory, whether you know what, what we do. But when you give money to certain people and not other people that really need it, and you know because you're on this corner and not that corner, you 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 fall into a disaster area with COVID, and and this big business over here, this big box store can stay open, and this little boutique gym's got to close, and you know, or this hair salon's got to close, right. or restaurants got to close. It's like right. Who makes these decisions? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. And When's so it ever going to end? We, we got the right and the left, the, the, the Republicans, GOP, and the Democrats, the DFL. And, you know, it's really not about the right and the left anymore. It's about the left. It's about the right and the wrong. So, you know, I just uh, I decided, you know, like about, I don't know, eight months ago to stop talking about it and start looking into it. So I spent some time Good for you. in the Democratic camps, realized I'm certainly not a Democratic. Uh, Democrat. So then um, I'm Democratic, but I'm not a Democrat. I went to some Republican Party meetings for about three or four months. And every time I show up, it's like they're so unorganized. It's like it's leaderless. And they got these people out here who have no idea how to manage their own lives, let alone manage a community or a business. And, you know, I don't want to be negative about any particular names of people, but it's like, I mean, when, when, so, you know, when a lady gets up there and she's running for Senate, she's like, okay, so anybody got anything they want to talk about? You're running the meeting. <laughs> right. You know? And so um, it, Not it, was, good. it was a little frustrating. So <clears throat> um, I decided to, I, I was going to run independent anyway. And then I looked into the, the Democrats and then I looked into Republicans and I said, you know, I'm better off staying independent because that's just how I feel. 
I'm not going to try to get bought into some kind of a system that I just don't believe in. So um, I'm endorsed by the the uh, Independent American Party. Okay. Okay. And uh, fully endorsed by them. So I'm running as an independent for the state Senate. And um, it's awesome. You know, who knows? I mean, um, I, I'm going to run a pretty good campaign. I think I'm pretty knowledgeable on my marketing plan. I got a, my, I got a full camp. I got plenty of volunteers um, awesome. right here in my district. I'm pretty well known. Um, I, I think people are tired of this. You know, it's like the definition of insanity. We keep yeah. doing the same right. thing over and well, one of the and expecting you know? a different result, and yeah. we expect a different result. As I go, well, I didn't want to be part of that, so that's why I couldn't be Republican or Democrat. So, I'm like you know, maybe we need a break, <laughs> you know, and just let's as people in a community, you know, talk about how we're going to run our community, you know, here in, in this district, and that's why I'm starting the my monthly party meetings and uh it's we're catching on and um i start uh, i'll be actually on the ballot in april and um uh awesome. then we'll really start our marketing plan and start our, our party meetings but uh you know i just i think about <clears throat> this mask mandate and this that and why it's not mandated no more schools are not wearing masks no more some restaurants make us wear right. them and it's I'm not letting you in unless you get a shot. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. Ooh. Can't go see a concert because you don't have certain things. I mean, no, I don't. I don't know. Makes I mean, me not want to go out and see concerts. I know. That, I know the airlines was down. I mean, you probably your business was probably down, but I couldn't get unemployment because I was self-employed. So for six months that they shut me down, I wasn't allowed to make money. Did they help me in any way? Yeah. No, they didn't. It's just not me. It's other businesses too. Zero and um. There's, I just think that this, there, there would have been, there should have been a better plan. And for anybody that runs a business, knows how to stretch a dollar, not just go, oh, we'll just keep printing money or, you know, make the taxpayers pay for it or whatever. And, you know, screw whoever we can, you know? Um, so I think you got to look at it from, you know, when you're going to do something like this, if you ever do it again, look at from who is this going to affect? Not, we got to make a decision here, you know. Right. These these guys mm-hmm. moved too fast on this, and then not only did they moved too fast on that, making bad decisions on knowledge they had, they didn't have the right information, but then they let our city get destroyed. And this was ground zero for the destruction epidemic that our governor and our mayor here in Minneapolis allowed to let happen. They should right. be arrested. See that. that- that's why Shane got the hell out of Minneapolis. <laughs> no, they, they, that's a crime. Right before then. You know, if you're a public official in that position to protect and serve and you fail at your job, how do you still have a job? I agree. If the state went bankrupt, how do you still have a job? I give you a lot of credit, Brad. That's a, that's a huge undertaking. Getting into politics, almost as crazy as getting in the ring, right? Well, you know, I mean, you put yourself out there, you're going to be a target to some, and, you know, a, a, you're going to have fans from others, you know? Oh, God. 24-7 target. I give you a lot of credit. Yeah, I do too. People like what I say and want to do. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a working kind of guy. Um, I network pretty well. I answer everybody's texts. I call everybody's emails. I don't I don't leave anybody hanging. And as a business owner, that's what you need to do to be a successful business owner. You don't become self-made by ignoring people. 
You know, you've got to answer the call. And these politicians like Dean Phillips, our, our congressional CD3, he's worth $70 million. So explain to me why you want a $50,000 year job again. Oh, that's right. You're part of the secret handshake society. You want to help your buddies out. That's what it's all about. Oh, exactly. thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad someone table, is 24 seven. You know, I'm glad someone's saying what I've been thinking. You know, so where does the real programs come into place that are going to be seen, done, and not put off and go? Oh, we're over budget. Oh, we got you know. I mean, how about holding that accountability for people that if you're going to start a program, you got to finish it. You know, how about holding accountability for our state employees that say. Listen, there's got to be some kind of an incentive to help get these people through the system. I right. mean, you try to call for help down to the state. We got so many state employees and no one's answering the phone. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I, you know, I feel like you got our support, even though Shane, you know, he's in Florida now, so he doesn't have much say here in Minnesota, but you got the AFA support behind you. I know it's late. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us this late at night. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, no. You've had quite the career, quite the life running for Senate, so good luck with that. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us this evening. No, thanks, guys. It was good talking to you. Anytime you want to do it again, let me know. That was a great story, Brad. I don't I don't think Jeff and I have ever talked for an hour and 15 minutes and not brought up Metallica once. We got to do that again. You know, I'll, I'll get on my Metallica research here, and we'll – We'll, we'll get a check on. I, we got to talk about some of the guys I know in the music industry sometime too. So, I was going to get to that eventually. I was going to say, you know, you had your your hands in a lot of you know different fields, probably. You know, with with being in the UFC, I'm sure you had to have made some connections in the music industry and seen some pretty yeah, crazy yeah. concerts. Met some really too. cool people. After Brad gets elected, we'll have a party oh episode. God, and we'll yeah, bring it up great. then. hundred percent. We would love. There we go. Love to do it. That's that's All what right. we're talking about. Cross your fingers. Brad, thanks again for joining us. We're going to talk soon, man. Hopefully the the weather warms up for you and Jeff, and uh, hopefully to meet one day. Thanks, Shane. God bless. Thanks again. Take care.